It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here, and this is our last, I guess, off-season podcast. It is the 4th of July next Thursday, so... Like, I don't do anything for the 4th of July, but what I also don't do is do a podcast. Right, yeah. I, I mean, I'll probably shoot off a, a firework or two and, uh, and you know, do it in the name of Power Mizzou or something right. like that. Maybe as it's going up in the air, I'll scream, brought to you by Shakespeare's Pizza. Yeah, I'm going to get a special uh, firework made that says Power Mizzou and then get one in the shape of a pizza. I am going to. It's way too hot. Now, we've gone from, like, you know, fall weather to dead summer weather. So it's way too hot to cook. So what you do next week, we'll do it before then, but do it again next week. Have a bunch of your friends over, call Shakespeare's Pizza, get eight pizzas. They're going to give you a discount. If you mention the Power Mizzou podcast, you get 5% more off of their already discounted group rate for, again, eight pizzas or more. They can do up to, I don't know the number of pizzas, but they can do it for up to 2,500 people. So if you want to have a 4th of July party for 2,500 people, I think Shakespeare's is probably about the only place in town that could cater that. Yeah, I would have to think. How many pizzas do you think that would be? Maybe like 1,000? Well, I, I think you figure probably th- one pizza would feed three people. Yeah, so, so, so eight, a little under 800, 800 pizzas. That's, that's a good number of pizzas. Yeah, I mean, and, and those large pizzas should feed, like no offense, if if – if you weigh a little more than the average man and you like to eat, like that's cool if you can't split a Shakespeare's pizza with three other two other people, but like they're pretty big pizzas. You yeah. probably don't need more than a third. Yeah, probably true. Especially yeah. if it's the uh, the pandas pepper. They load that thing up. <laughs> right. So do that. Uh, you know, call Shakespeare's, get some pizza for Fourth of July again. We won't be here next week. And then two weeks from now, uh, Mitchell will be getting ready to go to the uh, booming metropolis of Hoover, Alabama for SEC media days. And so, we are fully into football season at that point. So this is our last, like I said, off-season podcast. And like Mitchell and I, we're caught up in blues fever. And <laughs> and we want to talk a lot about the St. Louis Blues here. Trust me, we're going to talk about some other stuff too. So if you're not the biggest blues fan, continue to listen. All right. So again, I, I mean, everybody's got blues fever. Mitchell Forty, number one among that. So it, look, we did want to a couple weeks ago. I reached out to Ben Fredrickson and and said, "Hey, let's let's get you on the podcast. We're going to talk some Mizzou and and things like that." But Ben, first off, man, thanks for taking some time. And, and then, like, what was that like? That that I guess I don't know. The hockey playoffs last like nine months. So what were the last nine months like covering that for the PD? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, man. And. Um, it shows you how much uh, I expected the Blues to to be in the run for a Stanley Cup. We, we got married, my, my wife and I, on, on the twenty seventh, May twenty seventh. So I was like, you know, like, why do you do the holiday? Well, we were trying to pick like days that would not ever be, you know, in contention with sports. So it's <laughs> right. like, okay, college football and, and Cardinals baseball—that's a good time. And and okay, the Blues will be done by then because they've never won a Stanley Cup, so there's no way they will still be. And then here they were uh, covering. Here I was covering the the run during my anniversary, my first anniversary. So she was understanding. She knows what she got into, but that kind of shows just the absurdity of it. Uh, I mean, this was a team that, and you guys followed the, followed along. It's nothing that people who are familiar with the team don't know. But last in last in the standings uh, in terms of points on. On January 3rd, um, I mean, to the point that they were having fights at their own practices. They had to fire a coach early on in the season. Craig Berube was supposed to be nothing more than a placeholder. 
and uh, and they had a goalie who collapsed who had the big contract and he blew up in their face so it looked pretty grim um, and you know slowly but surely they dug their way out Ruby found a way to, to to you know kind of mesh with these players Jordan Bennington came out of nowhere like Kurt Warner style from fourth on the depth chart and became this like cold-blooded assassin and the team really kind of found this competitive you know nature and really just true team teamwork that it didn't have in years past and it was remarkable to watch and I kind of got to the point where when they got into the postseason I thought you know what there's just something special kind of about this group and I'm going to write it as if I know they're going to win and win the Stanley Cup because I don't want to look back and go okay I wish I would have bought in in terms of that you know knowing how big this could be not in terms of what I was you know a opinionated about but just in terms of trying to make each thing rise to the occasion of a team that could win the cup and and they just had this remarkable ability to bounce back from losses they were great on the road like the first team ever to win a Stanley Cup despite a losing record at home in the postseason which is absurd Um, they're just a tough resilient group and they really captured kind of the heart of the city Ben, uh you know as Gabe mentioned that the hockey playoffs are a relatively long uh long affair I'm curious you know is there one kind of moment throughout the run, be it you know the 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 game the Blues win the Stanley Cup or a game before then or, or the parade that that kind of sticks with you most? <laughs> a few, um, in terms of just the party that it created and the and the and the weight and the you know the the satisfaction of actually getting the Stanley Cup. That was the parade, and to see how many people showed up and there's like this fight about how many people showed up. It's really weird, but <laughs> I was there. I saw a ton of people. They're standing on top of parking garages and hanging out of buildings. It was it was wild. Um, and I see Robert Thomas, you know, smashing a beer um, with a police officer who's taking a selfie. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you remember, oh wait, Robert Thomas is 19, and it's like <laughs> that just shows the absurdity of this moment. This, the entire city just went into party mode and, and all bets were off and, and, and so many people showed up and that kind of, I think showed the the fascination, just the the celebration of the, of the city with this run and, and this team and, and the way the blues treated it, getting down from their floats and walking the Stanley cup around Alex Petrangelo is pulling people out of the crowd in wheelchairs and pushing them in the parade, letting them kiss the Stanley cup, people breaking down in tears as soon as they touch it. I mean, it's real. And that's, you know, there are people who waited their whole lives for this. There are people who waited, you know, and didn't get it. You know, family members who had died and, and been buried in their Blues jerseys. I mean, Tom Stillman, the Blues owner, talked about that on the ice after Game 7. You know, I'm thinking of the people who died waiting on this and the people who, you know, had Blues-themed themed wedding cakes. At the, <laughs> I mean, it's real. There are people who have waited a long time, and, and to see them finally get it after the Blues waited the longest of any NHL team before it won its first Stanley Cup, it was, it was pretty remarkable. It, ben, I, I just got two questions on this and and then we'll talk some Mizzou but first off and and I know I don't know if it was you or or Hockman somebody wrote this in the PD and and what I thought all along like I compare this to when the Royals won in 2015 like the Blues can win nine more they could win nine more in a row and none will ever be as cool for people in St. Louis or for Blues fans as this one did you kind of get that sense totally agree I think it's arguably the most important championship St. Louis has ever won um, you know, you only get one first, right? And that weight, as you know, as a Royals fan, gave us a long, <laughs> tenuous journey. And you feel like, you know, now anything is possible. Now that history is still there, but it's it, it can be put on the shelf as, as opposed to being this living, haunting history. And this will always be the team that put it away. And this team, 
beyond that, it's so likable. I mean, you have great characters on this team. There's Baruby who can't say three words without an F-bomb. There's Pat Maroon, the hometown hero, who took it took a team discount to come back and be a full-time father to his son and try to lead his hometown team to the cup and, and actually did it, you know, scored a double overtime goal in game seven against Dallas um, in, in the second round to, to, to keep the blues moving forward. Um, there's, there's Vladimir Tarasenko, who's the most selfless guy, selfless superstar you'll find. There's Ryan O'Reilly, who is, you know, Conn Smythe winner, who just all he did was work and work and work. Petrangelo kind of rallied to be the you know the captain everybody doubted he could be and there's really compelling storylines and then you add that in with what they accomplished and how far down in the well they were before they did it I do think it will be a team that is going to be very hard to beat and not just in blues history but in sports history and the Cardinals for the first time guys are kind of looking around going hey aren't we supposed to be the big deal in town (laughs) they're seeing the blues they're seeing their own fans go nuts when uh when the blues bring the cup to the to Bush Stadium so it's going to be hard for this team to be topped so that kind of leads into the, the last thing I want to ask you about the Blues. And, like, look, we say all the time we're not fans. We don't root for things, probably to the annoyance of, of actual fans that, that get sick <laughs> of hearing it. But, right. like, when you're covering something like this, like I remember covering Mizzou's season in 2007, and you're not really sitting there. Like, you're not despondent if they lose or, or anything like that. But you want that team you're covering to win because covering – hey, they won the first Stanley Cup in St. Louis history, is a hell of a lot better than writing, well, I mean, they didn't win, but it was really cool anyway. So, like, what what was that balance like for you guys those last three, four weeks? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you want to cover history, and if you don't want to cover history, then why are we doing this? Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, the cool thing about writing this is, like, you know there are going to be people who grew up with that sports page on their wall. And it has nothing to do with how well or how poorly I write. It has to do with the event. So like you write with the understanding, like I got to try to make this awesome because it's going to be remembered. And, and, and if I do it right, then it will be awesome because of the event and because of what I wrote. I mean, that's kind of the thing is you're getting this almost this turbo booster on your back and it's, and it's hard not to screw it up, but you got to not screw it up. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're, 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 you're hoping you're covering something that's never been covered before. I mean, it's man lands on the moon type stuff for, for what we do. And, and you, you go into it knowing like, okay, it was the weirdest thing to sit down at game six and game seven and know that like this might be the most important thing I ever cover as a sports writer. I mean, we don't cure cancer. We don't operate on brains. I know there are some of us who like to convince ourselves you what we do is really important. You speak for yourself now. <laughs> but <laughs> I know there are some that convince ourselves what we do is really, really important. But we write about sports, guys, and, and I'm the first to say it's not that serious of a job. But, but there are moments where you're like, this is – the potentially the biggest thing I'll ever do. And I'll cover a lot of important stuff and, 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 and I hope to cover many great things, but I don't know that there will be a bigger story than the blues winning their first Stanley cup in St. Louis. So I did have that pressure and kind of just, you try to try to handle it two ways. You go, okay, you have to basically tell yourself that they're going to win because that way it motivates you to do it right. Right. Like when you're writing game three, you can't be like, well, if they're going to lose, then it's, this won't matter. No, you have right. to like write it like you're writing a book is basically what I was told. And, and I learned from guys who covered the Cardinals, you know, World Series, guys like Derek Gould, who are like, you have to treat the postseason like a book because there is going to be literally a book. And there is now for the post-dispatch of right. the coverage of the thing. Like you want to be in the book. You want to you want to do it right. You don't want to look back and go, oh, man, I wish I would have raised my game earlier. So you, that's kind of the way I viewed it is like I'm telling myself they're going to win because then I will not be able to say, 
man, I left something out there. And and you try to, and that's how you try to, you try to approach it more than anything. And, and two, it's like, as it's happening, you're just kind of getting a feel for a team. Like we've all had a feel for a team before we know, you know, which way a team bends and breaks. And when they lost game six, I did not think that that there was any, any way they weren't going to go to game seven and and play their absolute best game. I wasn't sure they were going to win, but I, by that point you have a feel like, I think they're going to come out swinging and they did. So you, you just you're around them more and you get a sense of them. So I, I was confident they were gonna they were gonna give themselves a, a really good chance to win and 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 said I'm gonna write it like they are and and sure enough it worked out. So Ben, kind of circling back to to you know the parade and, and you talking about just kind of the real passion and fervor that came out with that championship. I'm curious, you know, do you think that that uh, it's a little different because Missouri's a couple mile, or a couple hours down the road? But do you think that's kind of you know lying in wait, uh, you know? For a, a, if a Missouri team were able to to make kind of a a Cinderella run and and maybe not win a championship, but do you think that level of support is is possible in the St. Louis area? Well, I think it's. Um, I don't know that you know the. I guess I don't know that the you know the Missouri will ever be the Blues here in St. Louis. Um, but I have noticed, and you guys have have noticed, I'm sure, the uptick in in people talking about Mizzou and, and paying attention to it. I mean, I've been a guy who has you know, been beaten up on the boards for, for, for writing and, and, and discussing Barry Odom's swings and misses in St. Louis recruiting. Well, there, now there's nothing to really criticize anymore. He's, he's showing up in, uh, in his blue shirt. You know, he, he's, he's, he's leading the troops at the, at the caravan and in, in let's go blues. And, and he really seems to have made strides with these guys that they're, they're producing here. I mean, I'd argue that, you know, this area, and, and sometimes there's, there's guys here who, you know, all the offers aren't real, and there's more hype than there is substance. I get that, but this area is producing a, some incredible football talent, and 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 Barry seems to have broken through whatever wall was there early on. He's getting these guys to campus, and I do think it's resulting in more buzz around Mizzou um, here locally. Now, if Mizzou were to go on a run, then yeah, you'd have you'd have that support here in St. Louis. Now, it wouldn't be blues like, but I do think I think you know this is a this is a hotbed waiting to to get something to go off about when it comes to not only Mizzou, but the SEC. There's a lot of Big Ten types in St. Louis. There's a lot of kind of mixed zone when it comes to schools. But one thing that surprised me is that it's taken a little longer than I thought it would for the SEC kind of, I guess, uh, you know, obsession to latch on around Mizzou. And I think it was close when it when they played so well early on, but it's faded a little bit since then. And I think it could really – I think it can really set in, and, and that's something that I've seen being in Tennessee. I mean, you guys know. I mean, they it can be, it can be an off day there in the off season. They're talking like breaking down the third string punter, and yeah. and that's just what they do. Like, will it get to that point in St. Louis? I don't know. Probably not because there's other things going on. But I do think it could be a lot better than it is now, and I think it's moving in that direction in part because the team's winning more, and in part because Barry is starting to get some of these local players that uh, that that were deciding to go elsewhere in the past. All right, we're talking to Ben Fredrickson with the Post-Dispatch. And, and I think, Ben, you've probably been around this program more than any other like like columnist, somebody who's not here every day in the last four years. And I know you wrote a little bit about this uh, over the spring, but and you kind of alluded to it there. I, I don't know if figuring it out is the right term, but Barry Odom is, I think, a different coach than he was a couple years ago. You agree? Yeah, he. I think. I guess, and, and you know him better than I do, Gabe. So, I, I my impression of, of Barry is that he is, he's not a different coach. He is himself now. 
and maybe he was having to be a different guy before. And and I have a better understanding of why that is now than I did in the past. I mean, it's so hard, I think, when you're trying to get your fingerprints on a program that you almost feel like you have to go above and beyond when you can't and you can't really be yourself. You can only really be yourself if you feel like everything's in place. And Barry didn't feel like everything was in was in place when he when he first got the job. And I mean he's a he's a football coach. He can be he can be terse at times. He can get rubbed the wrong way. We all can. I mean I can be that way. So I, I just feel like he has a better sense of what his mission is now and, and, and he's having fun. I that's what I feel like. I see him having fun. Uh, I, whether it's talking about his program or talking about his players I don't see that storm cloud over his head as much as I did in the past. And I think it's helping him because now he is being that guy, that, that energetic, you know, Mizzou, where's Mizzou on his sleeve guy that we saw in the past. And in hindsight, I don't know. And, I, and I've told him this, so I'll tell you guys this. I don't know that I maybe understood some of the, the things that he was trying to work through when he, when he got on. And that's such a thing that we all see Barry get that job. And it's a tough spot because you're told, Hey, you just got your dream job coaching at your alma mater so you're never allowed then to talk about, you know, how it could be better or what you have to change because then that's viewed as well. Why are you, why are you not saying this is your dream job and how could you possibly, you know, how could you possibly think about, you know, something being better? And and I think he had to work through some of that. He had to get the guys that he wanted in. He had to get a staff that wasn't rotating and rotating over all the time. And and now I feel like he likes his guys. He he really likes his loves his players and now he's able to relax and have fun and not feel like he's trying to do every single thing himself so you uh you mentioned his staff a little bit i know when uh when barry odom hired Derek dooley you uh wrote a column i think very justifiably being uh, a little bit critical of the hire and i i want to just say for for the masses like i would only ask this of you because i know that you know you're you're the type of guy who who is very honest always with his uh opinions uh are you ready to kind of eat crow on that or do you want to see more from from Derek dooley this year Oh, I, I was really impressed with what he did last season, um, based off of what I thought going in, and and I've told him that I, I you know, I, I went and did a, um, I kind of did a fly on the wall thing with Coach Odom at his coaching clinic, his high school coaches clinic, and had a t- chance to talk with Coach Dooley, and I just, you know, my thing is like, as you guys know, like it's nothing that you guys don't do. It's like if you're wrong, you got to own it, just mm-hmm. like we expect these coaches and players to own it. So I told him, I said I was pretty pretty critical of you and you know i think you clearly proved a lot of the questions that i had you know that you know what you're doing when you the way you coach that season the way you coach drew lock and and now it's you know another challenge he's got a completely different quarterback um so we'll see how he adjusts but one thing i do like about you know Dooley in this role is that he really seems to a lot of coaches say it but he seems to mean it he adjusts his plans and his personnel for what strengths that he has on his team and I think a lot of times these coaches, even at the highest levels, try to ram guys into things that might not fit. And I think Dooley has been, you know, more flexible and more willing to find spots that work for different guys, create roles that even if they aren't star player roles, they're roles where guys can accomplish things. And you listen to Drew Locke talk about him and what he meant for him. I mean, how could you not be impressed? And then the recruiting too. I mean, that's been a huge part. You know, the fact that they got those quarterbacks to all come, A, and then they got the guys who were already committed to stay once they once they added Kelly Bryant, that's impressive. I mean, that's a hell of a job because we're in an era where guys jump ship at a moment's notice, um, let alone when you add a couple quarterbacks in front of them. So I thought that showed kind of Derek Dooley's strength as well. Um, I mean, I think there are some things that can obviously get better. I mean, we saw some, some goofs at times last year. I think sometimes the – 
you know, the, the game management stuff gets a little wonky. Um, but uh, overall, I, I think he was, he was way more impressive than, than what I thought, you know, than what I knew about him at Tennessee and in Dallas coming in. All right, so it's your job to have an opinion on things all the time, which, by the way, I think would be very difficult to just have to manufacture three or four opinions a week. But So give me this, this Mizzou football season. What in December leads you to write, hey, Missouri's got to rip up this contract and give Barry Oda more, and what in December would lead you to write, man, I don't think this is going to work? In terms of uh, uh, the season, of season? In, in terms of the way this year's going to oh. go. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think you know. Well, I guess I'll just I, I don't think Barry is on the hot seat oh, no, anymore. No. I mean, I felt like you know that was like the topic last year, and I felt like he pushed through that. Um, but he's still, you know, look, he's still to some degree. Every SEC coach is still proving he's the guy, right? I mean, that's there's no one who's comfortable in this in this league. There's one, yeah. Nick Saban, and he's <laughs> incapable of feeling comfort. So <laughs> there's that. Um, Barry is. Uh, I think I think Mizzou really thinks that okay he's he's pushed through the wall here now it's such a fascinating season with the postseason unknown hanging over their heads and that's a really compelling storyline I mean that's going to be high drama if they start the season like they should and and they still don't have an answer Um, that's going to be something that really becomes I think a national story at that point the better that Mizzou plays but I, I, I look at their schedule and I look at how it starts, and it, I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't start with a run of wins. Um, and I also look at what they have coming back. The big question is, is Kelly Bryant right? But we've seen what he can do. Um, you know, he's not the arm that Drew was, but he's a, he's he's efficient and he can run. I mean, that's a that's a game changing skill. And he also has just been there and done that. I think that that means a lot. And and the kind of easing him into this schedule, I think, will be will be a good thing. I really think that this story that this season, this year, isn't going to be about, Hey, is Barry the right guy? I think it's going to be about, Hey, can Mizzou, you know, can Mizzou be the team that sticks it to the NCAA? Because like, and you guys have a better idea of idea of when they should know, but talking to Jim Sturk and I just did this week, we had him on a radio show that I do at KTRS. It sounds like there's a possibility they could be into their season yeah. It, we're playing without knowing if they're going to get a postseason, and that to me is how does he manage that? How does that become a motivating factor? Because it should be, and and how can he also keep that from becoming a distraction? Because it could be too. So kind of uh, switching to the other sport in Missouri. Uh, I'm not sure how many people know this, but Ben actually covered Conzo uh, Martin a bit when he was at Tennessee. Um, so wanted to ask you, Ben. You know, Conzo uh, kind of has a little bit of this reputation among some people of kind of being a guy who can get a program to, you know, 20 to 24 wins, get him in the NCAA tournament, but hasn't maybe shown he can really kind of crack that ceiling yet. He also hasn't been at one power five place for, for more than uh, three or four years now. Do you think, you know, he, he's a guy that, that uh, can do that at, at Missouri or is the jury still very much out on that? Well, I think we won't know until we see it, right? I do think he, I do think he can be that guy, and I, I have, I have, you know, no doubt that if he plants his flag, and I, that's his plan at Mizzou. I mean, he has told me, look, I'm not going to go coach somewhere else, and he basically wants to do this until he retires um, or gets fired. I mean, it, both are all real possibilities in college athletics, right? But he's not shopping, and this is the first time I think where he's felt like I'm going to be here, and 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 the radar is is coming down. Um, so how does that change his outlook? How does that change how he builds his program? Um, I think it. I think you're seeing a guy try to get a long-term plan for a successful team. And one of the things that I, I think has shaped to some degree uh, the way, how Conzo views us at Mizzou is what he went through with 
with the porters. Um, you know, any coach in America does that. Um, we would all do that if we were in those shoes, and every coach would take the gamble on on, on that combo. Um, but but you know the way it is worked out, I think Conzo has has drilled down on. I'm not necessarily worried about you know a guy's star power recruiting you know recruit what however many stars he has. I'm going to get guys that I think fit my system that I think are really coachable and I think we'll, we'll be able to develop over time. And he's going to be in the mix on guys in this area because he has that that name brand and that staying power, that recognition from being from East St. Louis. And I think, I think you're going to, his success, if he does that, Mitchell is going to be with a team that is developed, a team that grows up together, that doesn't have the guys on it that are going to be leaving early. Um, It's going to be a team of juniors and and seniors that have played together and gotten better every year and kind of form that, that bond. And and it's not exactly sexy. And I understand that folks always want to see, you know, five-star players. I get that. I mean, we have, we have, we can't be, you know, ignorant to the fact that better players, better recruits are better players in college. I mean, this is, this is a valid thing. But I do think in college basketball, especially when you look at the teams that make tournament runs, deep tournament runs, they're almost always teams that are, you know, matured together or they have so much stinking power and star power that they're full of guys who are going to be in the league next year. Mizzou's never going to be that. Mizzou's never going to be Kentucky. But it can be a team that has a, a core of guys that, that you know kind of are developed from within and and have some good players because they're in the mix locally but I think it's really going to be about developing a core and I think you kind of saw some signs of that last season um I know it was tough uh, and and really Mizzou should be in the tournament every year there's no there's no standard that shouldn't have the Tigers being in the NCAA tournament every year but you started to see some signs of how that could work when you look at you know the Mark Smiths and the and the Tillmans and and you know I really think Jeremiah especially his foul trouble last year really negated a lot of the good strides that he made. I mean, if you look at actually how he improved outside of that area, he got better. Now he's got to have a better head on his shoulder, but you can see some pieces of how it might work with a team that Conzo has developed with his guys. Yeah, Jeremiah just picked up two fouls and flipped off this podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, though. Because I, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, number one, A, the headline on Jeremiah Tillman is he's got to be better with the fouls but when you look at his free throw percentage and and, and you know every all of his rate yeah. statistics got a lot better but he's shooting himself in the foot because he can't stay on the floor and really this season to me is about can he get it done or not because it's like at some point junior senior doesn't matter but he's he should be you know be a, a man out there now um he had no business going into the nba in nba um i know he wanted to test those waters didn't work out but they i think he would have made a worse impression in, in whatever they would have put him through than if he just doesn't show up until until next year. But I'm and I know that I got I got I get mocked about it by you guys and I'll and I'll wear it, but I think Drew Smith's gonna be pretty good. Um and I I've, uh, I've noticed that I'm still, yeah. I'm still I'm still championing uh championing him and, and, and cursing Evansville for, <laughs> for not helping the kid out. But uh I think he's gonna be a guy that, that is a that is a, a major player for this team next season. All right, last thing. So this is like this is like the uh, Ben Fredrickson tour for Missouri football this year. I mean, they played Tennessee. Short of scheduling a game in Sedalia, you know, they're hitting all your uh, all your former spots. So the most important thing, we're two months away, and I still can't ha- figure out how to rent a damn car in Cheyenne on Friday night. So what do we do when we're up in Wyoming? Yeah, see, I always went through Denver. Um, it was way more efficient yeah. for me to just drive that extra hour and go to Denver, and then you have no problem now depending on the weather, that can be problematic because you can get caught up in the snow and, and have to get derailed in Fort Collins or something. And there really is no no time of 
year that the weather couldn't be like that. So um, I would, I, my suggestion would be check out Denver. But it, when you go to Laramie, you're going to have fun when you get there, if you get there, depending on the weather. Um, it is a hard-drinking, hard-partying college town. And they love Wyoming. Um, they love to to get out and celebrate football. It's really, you know, outside of outdoor activities, fishing, skiing, that kind of stuff, it's really the, the main thing going on. And then you got to remember, too, that Wyoming is the only – is the only thing going in that state. There's no pro teams. So they are, you know, Nebraska-like in their obsession about their team. And uh, there's some great spots. So if you're going to go downtown, go to, like, you know, the bars down on 3rd Street, and, and you got to go to the Buckhorn, which is it's got actually, like, bullet holes in the glass from old shootouts or new, kind of depending on which crowd <laughs> you're, you're hanging out with. There's some great some great drinking spots. And then, of course, you know, the, the unofficial mayor of, of Laramie is Tracy Ringlesby, who oh, is yeah. a you know who's a you know legendary baseball writer who every year has what's called Wyomania, where he brings like a ton of Major League Baseball writers to Laramie for a game, and they just light the town up. Um, so Tracy is you can't miss him. He'll be one of the many people walking around in a in a big brown cowboy hat. But look for Tracy. He'll be at the game, and he can tell you exactly where to go. When it comes to places to eat, places to drink, places to check out, it will be a it'll be a good time. I wish I don't think I'm going to be on the trip. I wish I was going, but uh, it's uh, it's a fun stadium, it's a fun fan base, and uh, and I don't know, I haven't done much research on if they're a good team or not this year, but it should it should be a win for Mizzou. All right. Well, speaking of no pro teams, I did hear a rumor that Stan Kroenke's looking to make it the Casper Rams, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I don't want to get you started. All right. So, all right, come on now. We're we're still riding the Stanley Cup high. Okay, you don't need to uh, take any cheap shots. <laughs> that was... uh, although, hey, Kansas City fan, why don't why doesn't Kansas City get the uh, Blues minor league affiliate? That would be perfect, and that then we be. could have more reason to go to KC and eat uh, eat Oklahoma Joe's. There you go. Well, let's get that done. Uh, well, uh, but but we'll order Shakespeare's on the way and and help out the podcast. So. Oh yeah, of course Shakespeare's. Hey, I had my I had my um my wedding rehearsal there, so I'm a big big Shakespeare's there fan. Appreciate there it. There you go. All right, Ben. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. See you guys. Talk soon. All right, we'll talk to you, Ben Fredrickson from the Post Dispatch, and we did want to talk some blues, but Ben is around more than I think any other columnist to, around this program. He obviously he went to school here, knows plenty about Mizzou, knows Conzo, so. So wanted to spend uh, some time on all of that and uh, get our Laramie, Wyoming travel tips. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's officially far more than I previously knew about Laramie. If, if we make here, it there, we think we're going to have to ride on the back of a buffalo. Here is what I knew about Laramie. It is in Wyoming. Uh, that was, but <laughs> It is high above the sea. So I used to live in western South Dakota, and we drove down to Denver a couple times. Obviously, you go through Wyoming. I There is legitimately a town on that drive that has a sign, Welcome to Lost Falls, Wyoming, Population 4. <laughs> I've never seen a town with fewer people that has a sign. No, I, I don't think you needed to make I mean, it's got to be just one house, right? Like, just a family of four? Yeah, I don't know if it's a family of four or, like, two couples <laughs> yeah. that are friends. Either way, know. I don't think it's worth the sign. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, like, still there or can maybe we, they had can another. Can we try to check it out when we're in the area? <laughs> I kind of want to just, yeah. I want to see the sign. Maybe they had another kid and it grew to five. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's possible. I mean, that's easy to update. Like, it's hard. One or, to... one or two could have died, though, also. You yeah. got to think, think about that. Yeah, so we will update you on the uh the population of Lost Falls, but we really are getting, we're two weeks away from two and a half weeks from SEC media days and all that. So we are really going to get into the meat of things, uh, you know, downtime and, and all that is almost over. 
not quite, but uh, getting awfully close. Uh, once again, a reminder, just Shakespeare sponsors the podcast. Call them, mention the podcast. You're going to get a discount on eight pizzas or more. So do that. And then we always finish up with the uh, the how many can you name. We have not even decided on what exactly we're doing yet. It did cross my mind that a few weeks ago we did famous somethings in sports, like a name. I think and, we did Brad's at Mizzou. Yeah, famous Brad's. Um, we were talking right, about doing doing famous Ben's because Ben Fred was on. But uh, so I'm going to let you choose between the actual two suggestions we got. Either because Bob Lee retired from ESPN this week, uh, named Sports Center anchors, and that could be current, former, whatever, or. Because Toy Story 4 is out, which, by the way, I'm going to this weekend. We can name Toy Story characters. So you choose, and that's what we'll go with. Oh, man. Uh, hmm. Let's let's do sports and our anchors, I guess. Although, okay. I, I mean, I, you have a longer wealth of time to choose from, but that's okay. Yeah, I can go for a while on this, okay, and a lot okay. of mine are no longer sports. Center. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to start with the super obvious one for our demographic, which is John Anderson. Also, okay, I yeah. want to add that someone suggested teams in the swack, and I'm upset we didn't consider it because I would have liked that. You would have run <laughs> off all 14 or however many there are. There are. Uh, okay, John Anderson, Stuart Scott. Yep. Uh, Steve Levy, that's one. Linda Cohn. Uh, John Butchergross. There you go. Uh, Neil Everett, I think yeah, he was yeah. one. I don't know and anything about him. And he was with the him. guy with uh, Stan Ver- Verrett, which Stan Verrett. Everett and Verrett, always, that always messed with me a little bit. Now, I'm going back to when I actually watched SportsCenter, and it was yeah. a good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Patrick. Yeah. Uh, we haven't mentioned Scott Van Pelt, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Uh, Keith Olbermann. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I know there's many, many Craig- more. Chris Berman. He was a sports yes. center anchor, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Craig Kilborn was a sports center anchor before being a late night host. Okay, okay. Oh man, I know there's so many more, and I'm I'm drawing a See, blank I, here. Though. I can go for a while. Gail Gardner, nobody's mm-hmm. gonna know who that was. Yeah. Probably that was way back. Bob Lee, obviously. Oh, uh, Kenny Maine. Kenny Maine. Tom Mees. Like I can. I used to literally sit and watch the same episode of Sports Center three times and then wow. watch it again the next morning. Yeah, so I can wild. go for a while. Yeah, I think I might have reached my capacity. First grade me would have been better at this because, yeah, that was yeah. you know around the, the period where I watch it every day, multiple times if, if need be. Yeah, I can't name any more that are in like the last five years and nobody wants to sit and listen to me rattle off Sports Center anchors from yeah. 1992 because <laughs> as captivating as i'm sure this podcast is most people probably already have turned it <laughs> off so but but that's a lot i feel like it, that was yeah, actually that was, that, that was kind of our wheelhouse yeah that's the best we've people. done in something yeah. i feel like i would have done just as well in toy story i think i could have done decent although it's been a while i haven't you know i've whenever toy story 3 came out i think i actually saw it in theaters and i don't think i rewatched it afterward yeah so. i am uh I, like i said i'm going to toy story 4 this weekend like i have no shame in being a 43 year old man that may shed a tear at Toy Story 4 in the movie theater. I guess. It's dark in there. I guess. Just don't let anyone hear you. Yeah, come on. Man. It's a, <laughs> Toy Story 3 was one of the greater movies of all time. And if you, didn't, if you did not get choked up at Toy Story 3, you have no soul. I might not have a soul. All right. Well, we've established that. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, we will not be here next week. Again, next, next Thursday is 4th of July. Uh, sorry, guys. Spend some time with your family. Blow some stuff up. Have a beer. Don't listen to us. Uh, But we will be back in two weeks, and Mitchell will be getting ready to go to SEC Media Days, and then we'll have, like, a uh, cornucopia of content for the next uh, few months. That sounds appealing. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. To be determined. But thanks for listening. Talk to you in a couple weeks.